Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel as today we will continue with our CIO Strategy Snapshot Series. The UBS Chief Investment Office just released the latest house view and monthly letter. So joining us here to provide some takeaways, some highlights, glad to welcome back the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas, Jason Trejo. Uh, With that, Jason, welcome back. Thank you for joining our listeners here on a Monday morning to begin another week. Looking forward to our conversation. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here. Happy Monday. So, Jason, as mentioned, the latest UBS house view is available for our clients, our listeners. Digging into the piece a bit, Jason, investors have taken notice of the sharp rise of long-term treasury yields, most notably over the past month. I know we've spoken about that here on the podcast. So as a refresher, what factors have contributed to the move and how has this move impacted other asset classes such as equities? Well, first, to set context, the move we've seen in longer in Treasury yields, like the 10-year and the 30-year, was over 60 basis points from the beginning of September until uh, you know last week, or at least a little bit the week before, when, when rates really peaked out with the 10-year nearly closing at 4.9%. But if you go back to the beginning of the summer, like beginning of July, the both increased uh, yields increased over 100 basis points. So a very dramatic move in a relatively short period of time. I'd point to three main factors that caused the rate rise. First is the better sort of macro conditions, uh, you know, growth holding up much better than expected in the third quarter. Uh, and while inflation is moderated, it's still at a you know, relatively high level. Uh, I think those conditions have led the markets to kind of reassess, you know, how long the economy can avoid a recession. Uh, what we haven't seen is uh, rates go up because of higher inflation expectations, though. Well, inflation is still high. The view has been for a while now that inflation will ultimately be tamed. So the move we've seen, if you decompose the rate rise into different factors, higher inflation expectations long-term haven't really been a driver. The extent they've really mattered, it's more that they're indicated that the economy is holding up well. If the economy was really slowing dramatically, chances are we'd see inflation even lower than it is. So good macrodynamics is one factor. The second factor kind of falls out of that, which is expectations for the Fed. The view that the Fed would hike one more time, we're put, putting some probability on one more hike, that hasn't really changed. It's been held pretty steady. What's really changed is the expectation for Fed rate cuts in 2024 and beyond. If we go back you know, to earlier in the summer, the expectation was that the Fed would cut rates over 200 basis points, you know, like something like around 225 basis points by the end of 2025. Uh, and the bulk of that, at least 125 basis points, that would happen in 2024. Now the market's only pricing for the Fed to cut three times next year uh, and only a couple more times in 2025. So the Fed funds rate kind of stabilizes around 4% and then actually starts rising based on market pricing by 2026 and beyond. If that's the case, you know, if the front end of the curve is not going to fall very much, it's not surprising then the back end of the curve, the tenure has to kind of reflect these just higher expectations for the Fed funds rate going forward. The third factor then is the supply and demand considerations. Certainly, a lot has been made about how the large budget deficits and big supply of treasuries have been driving that, and you don't have the same amount of potential demand, especially with central banks, including the Fed, now actually engaging in quantitative tightening, meaning they're letting bonds roll off the balance sheet. They're not buying new bonds. <clears throat> it's really true that the supply of treasuries this quarter is higher than expected. Uh, one of the surprises was right at the end of July when the Treasury announced that they'll issue $275 billion more in treasuries this quarter than was initially anticipated. 
you need someone to buy them. And, and certainly there's been some reluctance among different types of buyers, whether it's you know, central banks, but also the in the private sector among different types of institutions. Uh, what we haven't really seen, though, uh, despite a lot of speculation, is that overseas buyers have curtailed their activity. Yes, there's a lot of focus on China and Japan, and they do hold a lot of treasuries, but they're holding relative to the overall market has been declining, and that's been kind of more than offset by buyers from other countries and other regions. And there's not yet really indications that those buyers, that demand has, has dried up. So when you add it all up, you know, you've had good macro that's forced repricing of Fed expectations at a time when the technical picture is more explore than expected. And some of the, the odd buyers historically, at least for the past decade, they're not really in the marketplace. So you add it all up, you get a kind of rate shock of the magnitude that we've already seen just in the past, you know, let's say, six weeks or so. So, Jason, the question becomes, where do yields go from here? It was interesting as I was going through the House view, I did pick up on how CIO expects yields to fall in the months ahead. Why is that the case exactly? Well, there's a couple of different factors. One, just from the, the macro conditions, that was the first driver for yields to go higher. Uh, while the growth data has exceeded expectations, we still expect the growth will moderate this quarter and, and going into early next year. There are various challenges to the to growth data at the levels that it experienced in the, in the third quarter, where, just for context, the Atlanta Fed GDP tracking estimate is actually over 5% for the third quarter, and the consensus expectations in Bloomberg amongst 75 economists is 3%, and that's likely to go a little bit higher based on some of the incoming data. So any moderation from that is, is likely. Uh, you add in the drag potentially from uh, you know the strikes that are taking place, especially with the UAW, uh, that can knock off some activity. Uh, the student loan repayment resumption that should impact at least on the margin consumer spending, and then just the higher rates, the tighter financial conditions. This will have some impact, and it can happen you know relatively quickly. So all those things will suggest consumer spending should moderate. Uh, inflation should continue to decline as a result. Growth should decline. If that's the case, then you should see rates come down as concerns about the economy reaccelerating uh, start to dissipate. That is the other factor of a bit of a flight to safety. You know, as the economy slows, there is a question whether it's slowing to a below trend pace but not a recession level, or does it keep slowing to ultimately kind of tip into recession? When the economy is slowing, you just don't know exactly you know where it's slowing to. So there is going to be a potential bid for for treasuries as that site to safety, because if you got a recession, yields will fall you know, quite a bit more than what even what we're sort of assuming by year, which is around, say, you know, a 10 year round, you know, 4%, 425. It could go below that, certainly into next year if rates decline. And then there's also the knock on or potential, you know, flight to safety given, you know, the, what's happening in the Middle East with the Iran, uh, sorry, with the Israeli uh, Hamas war. If that were to escalate into more a broader regional conflict, Concerns about the implications for oil surging, global growth, that will certainly lead to a you know flight to safety that could also cause you treasury yields to go lower. So both from fundamental reasons and sort of geopolitical risk off of factors, there are reasons to think that rates will go lower in you know the rest of this quarter into next year as well. So Jason, with that in mind, what could a drop in yields mean for equities? I know equities have had a rough couple of months as yields have been on the rise, but could there be potential upside in equities from here? And if so, what sectors look most attractive at the moment? Well, there could certainly be some upside. We've already saw last week that once the rate shock started to ease off, like it looks like the worst of the rate move is, is over. Uh, and in fact, we saw a pullback of almost 30 basis points in the 10-year yield from its peak to where it was 
as of um, Wednesday morning. You see, as rates sort of stabilize, it provides some floor for other asset classes that are all in some way going to be influenced by uh, where rates are. So as rates stabilize, it allows other asset classes, including equities, to find a floor and start to kind of bounce back as investors get a better sense of like how to then value these different asset classes given this new level of rates. So rate stability you know, provides a bit of a support for, for equities. Now, if we still kind of think about the macro backdrop, we're looking at growth and inflation to moderate, but still expecting a soft-ish type of landing, uh, which means we still anticipate positive earnings growth, uh, you know, uh, really from the third quarter on uh, into next year. So we see upside for equities, not enormous, but if we now have our, our 2012, or sorry, 2024 December price target or year-end price target, so a little more than 12 months away, about 14 months away, our price target is 4700 for the S&P. The current level for the S&P is roughly 4325, which from a given where that level is to 4700, it implies sort of a total return when you add in dividends of close to 10%. So a decent return and kind of not far off from historic averages over that, that time period. In the near term, we expect for the market choppiness to continue. The markets have been very range bound this year and that's likely to continue with oscillations really dictated by you know, how the data is evolving, whether it's better or it's an expected shift, and therefore Fed expectations, you know, if any. And then, of course, these shocks from uh, or these geopolitical risks and political risks, whether it's in the Middle East or in D.C. with a potential still government shutdown on the table for mid-December. So really what we're dealing with at the market then is that's in between the tensions between sort of good economic data on the one hand and these risks, geopolitical risks, uh, uh, on the other hand, as well as the prospect of higher rates and a more restrictive Fed if the economy doesn't actually slow down, as has been sort of generally assumed. Um, now, market choppiness you know, should persist, but there is scope for a bit of a year-end rally. You know, oftentimes, we see equity markets do well in November and December. We get the Santa Claus rally. That is possible this year if the Fed ends up being done hiking on November 1st, uh, or actually is already down a decent hike, which we think is, is there's a good chance of that happening. So the market then would sort of pivot to the Fed as being done, even if they tried to leave their options on the table. We also have, uh, you know, economic data cooling would actually be welcomed by the markets because that takes off the Fed, you know, really off the table. Uh, and if it cools just enough, you get that Goldilocks environment where if it cools anymore, we know the Fed intervenes, uh, you know, starts kind of getting a little more dovish. That would be a boost to risk assets. But it doesn't cool so much that investors get worried about, you know, a recession risk rising and a soft landing, you know, being in jeopardy. And then overall investor positioning is not particularly extreme, especially after the past month where a lot of the investors have kind of dialed back their exposure. So there is scope for investors you know, wanting to chase a rally into year end if that happens. Predicting these things on a short horizon is really difficult, but just you know, given where we've kind of you know adjusted in the past month or so, there is scope for markets to move a little bit higher to year end if you know the kind of everything kind of aligns as they just laid out. Just to run with risks for a few more moments, you've shared with us considerations when it comes to rising geopolitical risks, uh, mentioned potential gridlock in D.C. as the House of Representatives continues to search for the next House Speaker, what that could mean for domestic policy. Anything else in the way of risk? Well, I'll just touch first on the, the domestic politics. Uh, we still have a new Speaker of the House that looks like it could be resolved this week, but you know, there's clearly disagreement within the Republican conference on who they want the Speaker to be. There is a November 17 deadline looming. You know, the government is funded until that point in time, so they need to have both a speaker in place, but also some sort of agreement 
what to do at that point in time on the 17th. Otherwise, the government does shut down. Now, part of electing the speaker might be some kind of agreement that this is what they will propose and try and pass to keep the government funded beyond the 17th. They might not want to put someone in, in that role and four weeks later deal with the government shutdown. That's not an ideal way to start a new significant job. Uh, even if a government shutdown does occur, our view going into September 30th was that, you know, the shutdown, if it happens, you know, is unlikely to last that long. Uh, the economic impact, you know, is modest in whatever happens in terms of drag and growth while the government shutdown happens. It often can lead to kind of a rebound, you know, later on as employees who were laid off, were not laid off, but didn't, weren't paid for a few weeks, they end up getting you know, back pay. So the markets would potentially look through that. Where there could be some additional complication this time is because there's a lot of focus on the fiscal dynamics in D.C. as a potential driver for Treasury yields higher, signs of dysfunction in D.C. could lead to, again, investors were a little bit reluctant to buy Treasuries, sort of a term premium or risk premium price back into Treasuries, that could rise again. So there's a little bit of risk there. Regarding the Middle East and the Israel-Hamas war, like we outlined in, in our the CIL letter three different scenarios. One is that it could stay relatively contained. Uh, another is that it could de-escalate. Uh, and the real risk case is that it becomes a regional escalation, that it spreads to other parts of the, of the region. It leads in particular to disruptions of energy and oil supplies, which if you see any sort of significant surge in, in oil prices, that could immediately have a drag on global growth. It may not move enough to tip the U.S. economy into recession, but certainly it becomes a challenging environment because you have a, essentially a negative supply shock to the, the global economy at a time when growth is already potentially going to slow. So those are the main risks that we're looking at, um, in addition just to the fact that uh, you know the economy could slow, the Fed is still could keep conditions tightened, and they could also end up making a policy area of keeping policy too tight for too long as they misread the implications of the economy slowing down and the negative drag of about the higher rate shock that we've seen thus far. Quite a lot in the way of risk considerations to be mindful of. Before we close out, Jason, I do want to end on positioning. So you've outlined for our listeners, CIO's near-term market macro outlook. You ran through some risk considerations to be mindful of. How is CIO recommending that investors be positioned at the moment? Well, we did the house view update last week, and we actually made no changes to any of our major asset classes or sector views, which in light of a lot of you know, market turbulence over the past month might be surprising. But when we kind of pull back from that, we ask the question, you know, has the macro environment changed significantly where we don't think a softish type of landing in the next 12 months is still the likely scenario? And the short answer to that is, is, is no. Uh, the Fed picture hasn't necessarily changed much. We, we were thinking at most one more hike in November with a good chance that it doesn't happen. And given the rise in longer-end rates, uh, we think that actually the odds of the Fed hiking at all, again, is probably actually have gone down. Again, the Fed as a market drag or an economic drag has that view hasn't changed. In fact, it could become a bit of a tailwind for for risk assets once it's clear that the Fed is, is done. So that really did you know change overall. There's clearly heightened geopolitical risk, the political risk. But as I just alluded to, the US situation not a we don't think it's a major market driver. And at this point in time, the geopolitical risk in the Middle East well, it's just difficult for one to have any conviction or confidence on how that could ultimately play out. Given that you can't really forecast the disruption in, say, the oil prices they would cause to go higher, this one, your sort of our base case assumption is that this one would be relatively still, you know, contained and not having a big spillover effect to the global economy. So all of that led us to keep, you know, position, you know, overall the same. Likewise, with our main messages and focus, those didn't change. You know, one of them, you know, buy quality bonds. 
you know, we've liked that for a while, you know, and we liked it perhaps even more now given uh, this rate shock. Um, you know, if you uh, buy at yield at these levels, you actually take quite a bit higher move over the next 12 months for yields to go up to not end up with any positive return just because now the carrier that you're getting when a 10-year treasury is around 4.7%, it's pretty attractive. The break even for spread for yields to go higher to lose money, you know, is quite significant. Whereas if things slow, rates decline as we expect, you get a pretty good total return for whether it's treasuries, high-quality munis, investment-grade corporate bonds, mortgage-backed securities. There's a number of things that look you know, quite attractive at this point in time. Managed liquidity is another key message. And if the Fed is actually done already or if they hike one more time, the direction of travel then is for rates, especially the front of the curve, is there to go lower. So while cash has been pretty attractive thus far, we could be at the point where we are at the peak in sort of two-year yields and they go lower. And therefore, that's what we need to think about in terms of reinvesting and setting up your liquidity strategy. On the equity front, you know, we still like energy as one of the key sectors. Um, you know, it's pulled back a little bit as oil prices have fallen, but we think oil is likely to drift a little bit higher, you know, given all the factors, both macro, micro, and the geopolitical risks. Energy is a sector that we still like. Uh, we still like, you know, consumer staples as a more defensive sector and industrials as a sector that, that plays a sort of more long-term themes in terms of uh, some of the, the manufacturing investment in the U.S., some of the, the scope for um, uh, a lot of capital investment that, that will take place. Um, we also like uh, equal-weighted uh, S&P 500. It's lagged and it's also underperformed a little bit recently, but in an environment where a soft assignment materializes, it is an area that should have scope for, for catch-up as we go into next year. So those are some of the main messages. They haven't really changed despite a lot of, obviously, developments over the past month and in the rates environment, in the macro environment, and in the political, geopolitical environment as well. Well, Jason, as always, thank you for dropping by top of the morning this morning to keep our listeners, clients informed on CIOs thinking when it comes to the macro, the market environment going forward and outlining the considerations when it comes to asset allocation as well. So a productive way to kick off a week. As always, Jason, thank you for joining us and do look forward to picking back up with our conversation again soon. You're welcome. Have a great week. Likewise. Thank you, Jason. Again, today we have been joined by Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Jason Dreho. Uh, Jason, again, has been joining us to provide some highlights from the UBS House View, that title, Return of the Bond Vigilantes, which is now available up on UBS.com slash CIO. If you are a client of UBS, simply reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the latest UBS House View Investment Strategy Guide and Monthly Letter Directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.